Have you ever overheard a conversation that you are not supposed to hear, but you just couldn't stop listening? I remember as a child being very, very quiet, straining to listen if I thought perhaps my parents might be talking about me in another room. Now, one of the interesting things about reading the Bible is that we get to listen in on a lot of conversations, whether it's Paul writing to church leaders or Moses and God conversing with each other, or in our gospel reading today, Jesus talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And as is often the case when we read the Bible, listening to these conversations, we learn a lot about God and about ourselves along the way. So the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus in the third chapter of John's Gospel begins pleasantly enough. Nicodemus visits Jesus at night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Now notice that Nicodemus says, we know, not I know. Now I don't think that Nicodemus is speaking for all the Pharisees, but clearly there's more than just one who are curious about Jesus and think at the very least, he might be some kind of prophet based on what he's been doing. So given this complimentary introduction, you might think that Jesus would return the compliment, maybe tell him he's not far from the kingdom of God. Instead, Jesus jumps right in, knowing that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, is concerned about bringing about God's kingdom by obedience to the law and following the traditions of the elders. So Jesus challenges Nicodemus and says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Now this sounds like nonsense to Nicodemus because everybody knows you can't be born twice. You exit your mother's room once there's no going back. But Jesus tells Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Being born of water and spirit. Now, at this time, everybody, all the Jews in this region, would have heard about John the Baptist's ministry of inviting people into a baptism of repentance in the Jordan River. John had said, I baptize with water, but he was paving the way for Jesus, who he said would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so it seems that both are needed to enter the kingdom of God. Baptism with water, tied to the repentance of sins, and baptism with the Holy Spirit, which can only come from God. It is both natural and supernatural, human and divine, with a grace that can only come from God, but an openness and receptivity 
that people must be willing to supply. Jesus continues to explain this difference between natural and spiritual birth. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. He wants Nicodemus to see that being born again isn't about a mother giving birth to a child, but about becoming born of the spirit. And this isn't simply some new spiritual practice to add on to rules and spiritual practices that you have to do. No, this is nothing short of death to the old sinful self and rebirth as a new creation, a child of the living God. And because this is of God, it cannot be manipulated or controlled. Jesus says, the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus still cannot understand and says, how can these things be? And I think we can hear some exasperation in Jesus's voice as he answers, are you a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Jesus expects more from this religious teacher. After all, he has studied the scriptures his whole life, and yet he cannot seem to understand what Jesus is saying. But Jesus suggests that Nicodemus's lack of understanding may be tied up in willful stubbornness and unbelief when he says to him, you do not receive our testimony and you do not believe. Then Jesus pushes the envelope even further by not so subtly referring to his true identity, saying, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, Nicodemus, no doubt, would have picked up on that phrase, the Son of Man, lifted from the book of Daniel, where one like the Son of Man was given dominion and kingship by God. And he might put two and two together that Jesus was referring to himself. Then Jesus makes another scriptural reference that he expects Nicodemus to get. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now here, Jesus is referring to a story in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, when the Israelites were nearing the end of their 40-year journey in the wilderness and before they entered the land of Canaan. You see, the people had grumbled. They had complained against the Lord and against Moses. 
And so the Lord sent serpents among them. The serpents bit them, and many people died. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord had Moses create a bronze serpent on a pole that the Israelites could look at when they were bitten and they would live. And so just as the Lord used the uplifted serpent to remove death from the Israelites, so the Son of Man would be lifted up, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. To put it simply, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you expect to enter God's kingdom by following God's commandments and expecting everyone to do the same. But what you don't realize, Nicodemus, is that you are in the same kind of grave danger that our ancestors were years ago in the wilderness, being bitten by serpents. Like them, you need God to send a savior, someone who will rescue you from death, or else you will be left dead in your trespasses. And I am the one God has sent. I am the one who will be lifted up like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. And so Jesus continues, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Jesus is laying it all out there for Nicodemus to see if he wants to. Jesus is claiming to be God's son, sent into the world by God in order that people would put their faith in him and receive eternal life. Now, this isn't just some interesting new doctrine for Nicodemus to ponder. This is a life-changing, world-changing reality. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, belonged to a group of Jews who believed that keeping the biblical laws, along with the tradition of the elders handed down through the generations, was the key to bringing about God's kingdom. He was earnest about wanting to bring about God's kingdom. But Jesus was preaching that the kingdom of God was already at hand. And that he, the son of man, and the son of God was the very one ushering it in. The miracles that Jesus performed that had caught the interest of Nicodemus and the other Pharisees were signs pointing to the fact that yes, Jesus had been sent by God. And ultimately, it would not be adherence to the Torah law or to the traditions that would make people righteous before God. It was Jesus, the Savior of the world, who would save people from eternal death and usher them into eternal life with God. Now, how would this happen? By the new birth, by people repenting of their sins, putting their faith in Jesus Christ, 
and being baptized by water and the Spirit. No matter whether they were Jews or Gentiles, Romans, Arabs, Asians, Africans, Europeans, or North Americans. Because it's not about who your parents are or even what your parents believed, but rather about what the Lord has done out of great love for you and your willingness to receive it and to be reborn. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world. This is how we were when the Lord found us and rescued us. Now, these teachings can be difficult to accept for religious people like Nicodemus. And it can be difficult for religious people who have spent most, if not all, their lives in the church. But all of us, friends, were born as sinners. And we have lived and thought and acted in rebellion against God. Even those of us who have grown up in the church have been at times seduced by the desires of the flesh, the world, and the devil. And that is exactly why at baptism we renounce those things and all things that draw us away from the love of God. If our parents made those vows on our behalf when we were baptized at a young age, then we must come to embrace them for ourselves as we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And even after we've been born again, we can forget ourselves and we can fall into believing and behaving in ways that violate what we profess to believe. We can forget and forsake the love of our Father for us, the redeeming sacrifice of God the Son, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so when we get in that place, we need to be reminded by our brothers and sisters in Christ, and by God's word, and by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, of who we are and who we belong to. We are beloved children of the Father, washed by the blood of the Lamb. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are in a process of becoming, of actualizing what the Lord has already made us in the new birth. In a few moments, we're going to pray together, and we will confess our sins. We will receive assurance of God's forgiveness. And then we, as the body of Christ, will have the opportunity by faith to feed on the body of Christ and to drink of his holy blood. May this sacrament 
remind us of our union with Christ, our rebirth through him, and of our status as beloved children of God. And if you're with us today, and you're not a baptized believer, I encourage you, come forward during communion. Have your arms crossed or leave them down by your side and let one of the clergy pray a blessing for you. In addition, after today's service, if anyone here would like to receive prayer, meet me up in the chancel right after the service. I'll be up there and we can pray together. And so now let us assume a posture of prayer. <clears throat> 